the failure part of that made that year so much better and so much more memorable to me. Like, yes, winning the World Series is like one of the greatest achievements ever, but I look back at how I got there and how we won that World Series was more satisfying to me than probably any of the other guys on the team. Welcome to the Outperform Podcast. My name is Scott Welly. I'm an author, speaker, and the founder of Outperform the Norm, a global movement that helps people achieve peak performance in their personal and professional lives. I've spent my life working with top performers in business as well as athletics, and each week it's my aim and mission to bring you an inspiring person to share their personal stories and insights, or perhaps it'll be a personal message from me, but with one very simple goal in mind, to help you outperform. Your time is precious, and I want to thank you for spending it with me here today. But just one small ask before we get started. If you find value from this podcast, the greatest way that you could possibly thank me would be to head on over to iTunes or whatever your favorite podcast platform happens to be and give it a five-star review. Also share it with somebody that you know that you would like to help outperform so we can all grow this movement together and strive to make the world a healthier, happier, higher performing place. Once again, thank you for being here. And without further ado, let's get started. Brett Myers, welcome to the Outperform Podcast. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Thanks a lot for being here. When you hear the word outperform, what does that mean to you? And how do you define outperforming in your life? Uh, I think everything in life is a competition and uh, competing uh, with anything you do in life and always trying to succeed. So trying to be the best at, at everything that you can accomplish, uh, you, you have to set goals and, and uh, to accomplish those, you have to try to overachieve and, and uh, you know, push yourself and push your limits to see how far your body physically, mentally can, can uh, what it can take. So for people that might not know your background, you've obviously done that at a very high level um, in a couple of different spots, uh, first and foremost as a Major League Baseball player and a World Series champion. So how many years did you play in the Major Leagues? Twelve. Twelve, okay. And you played mainly for the Phillies, right? And that's where you won the World Series? Yep, I played eight years with the Phillies, um, seven or eight years, something like that. I lose count. It's been so long ago, you know, but... uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, uh, you know, and then with the Astros for two and a half years, I traded to the White Sox um, at the All-Star break and then played a year with the Indians. Okay. And you've been out of the big league since, was it 2013? 13, yep. 2013. Okay. I, I uh, With the Indians, I injured my arm. I tried to come back from it and uh, just uh, it wasn't going to work. And, you know, my kids were missing me and stuff. So I made like a family decision. Yeah, sure. And now you have embarked on a music career. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, I I started, uh, I've always uh, been interested in playing guitar. I've been playing guitar for since I actually got to the big leagues. Our um, video coordinator uh, was a guitar teacher before he had the job with the Phillies. And uh, he taught me some stuff and I, I basically knew three chords or something like that. And then I really got into it and started playing and I was never really interested in playing other people's music. I always wanted to write my own stuff, but I wasn't talented enough to do that on guitar. So, uh, you know, just trying to push myself to see, make sure, you know, if it's something that I wanted. And then, uh, you know, when I was injured in um, 2013, I had a lot of downtime. Uh, I was just rehabbing and trying to, trying to make it back uh, healthy. And uh, obviously it didn't pan out. So 
you know, I started trying to write music and stuff like that. That that whole season while I was basically sitting at home, uh, we'd go, I'd go in and rehab for a couple hours and then go sit at home and just do nothing. So I figured, I don't want to spend my time wisely. And I started writing music. And, uh, you know, something that I was interested in. I always, the satisfaction of writing something and see and creating something and seeing it come together is uh, something that, that I'm passionate about and, and it just makes everything like, you, you know, when you finish a project or do something, you just feel good about yourself afterwards. So, and I think that's one of the reasons I did it. And, and uh, you know, I wouldn't tell a story and I think that's the best part about music. You can always tell a story and, and uh, you know, try to try to be as relatable as possible so that people will like it. So have you always been someone that, has just kind of, I don't know if it's that creative part of your brain or has had the ability to just write music because I've, I have such, uh, I'm so envious of musicians on so many different levels. And I've often wondered if you were to tell me to just sit down and to just write a song, I don't even know where I would begin. I have no idea how that comes together. So is it something right. you envision in your mind and then it just gets flushed out or how do you do that? Yeah. Um, I guess it, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, I guess, the first things first is you need a concept of what you want to write about and how do you want to tell the story about it? You know, so I'll always come up with like ideas, like something that's, you know, catchy or, um, not, not cliche ish, but, uh, something that, that might have two meanings mm -hmm. and try to write a way around that. And, you know, I learned a while ago, like the structure of a song is, is the first thing you, you kind of need. And, you know, it basically goes intro verse, uh, pre-chorus, chorus, and then repeats itself and then an outro. And uh, so once I kind of learned that part of it is uh, it was the structure of it, the words, you can write the words in there, you know, and, and what melody you want and how you want to make it as catchy as possible. But don't get me wrong. I don't do all this by myself. You know, I've had a lot of people help me. So uh, I have a producer that I sit down with and we write the songs together. Um, and he's also my bass player in the band and, uh, we're just, we just sit down and I come up with a concept and I'll call him up and I'll say, Hey, what do you think of this? Is this stupid or not? You know? And, and basically he's like, Oh, I think that's great. And then we go and, uh, you know, basically structure the song out, the melody and everything and, and, uh, write around what the, uh, concept was. Yeah. And I'm sure that's a parallel from baseball too, right? Like you don't make it to the big leagues by yourself. You have trainers, managers, right. coaches, and people that are helping you right. along throughout the entire way. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's very hard to sit down. I mean, it's, well, no, I wouldn't, so some people do it, but uh, like I'm the type of person that needs approval from somebody that will like it, you know, just don't sit down and write a song. It's, it's so much better to sit down and write with somebody in my opinion that, that can grasp the, what the concept is and just, you know, it shouldn't be, it's not really that easy to write songs, but when I sit down with, with my producer, Damon Starkey, it's, it's, uh, it just comes naturally. And it's, uh, and, and we usually write a song in a day and not, and not many people do that. Like if I write by myself, it could take me a week or so, you know, just to try to find the, the right words to put in there without sounding dumb I guess you would say so uh you know it's always good to when you're sitting there trying to come up with a line that and it has to make sense in the song and you just all, all I need him to do is maybe throw an idea out there and I'll figure out a way to word it or he'll figure out a way to word it and it's just it's just uh it just goes a little smoother 
Yeah. So I, I want to come back to the music in a bit, but I, I actually just initially want to go back to baseball. And I mean, to be able to get to that level, was it just something that was identified early on that you had a gift to be able to pitch and to be able to play baseball? Or were you a late bloomer? Talk to me about the evolution of well, how you got to the majors. Well, I, I think it started all when I was seven years old. I, uh, my dad told me, um, well, I was sitting there watching the Braves game because we had WGN and TBS. So it was the Cubs when I got home from school, the Braves when, you know, before I went to bed and stuff like that. So I remember sitting in, the par- in an apartment with my dad and my brother and everything. And, and uh, I pointed at the TV and we were watching the Braves. I said, that's what I want to do when I get older. And my dad's like, well, one in a million, make it. And I said, uh, well, why can't I be that one? So, and uh, so I, I'd always like had that drive. That's what it's really what I wanted to do at, at an early age, seven years old. I wanted to play in the big leagues, and I wasn't going to take no for an answer. Um, I just kept pushing myself to you know the limits of my body and everything. And I mean, yes, I was gifted with a good arm, um, I guess you would say. But I, I was more of a baseball player. I didn't necessarily think I was going to be a pitcher. You know, I was I was a pretty good hitter, uh, pretty good, you know, all around baseball player. And, uh, you know, I never thought that I would just end up, you know, being a pitcher, but as through, through high school and everything, I was pretty dominant. And, uh, you know, when when you're throwing as hard as I was throwing at the time, you know, you you get looks like people are like, Oh, he's just going to be a pitcher, you know? So, uh, and I, I think that my pitching was, you know, above my other baseball skills, obviously, uh, cause I played for, 12 years doing it, but, uh, you know, you learn along the way, but I, I just, I wanted to, my drive and everything, like I, 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 I accept failure, but I don't like to fail, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm, I'm, I, I guess I, I deal with failure, put it that way, but I don't, I don't like to, you know, um, fail at all. Nobody likes losing period. So, uh, I've I always pushed myself to try to be better each time out and just basically, you know, kick ass and take names type stuff, you know? So it, it's, uh, it's always been that drive in, in me and just keep try to keep pushing myself to be the best at whatever I'm into at that time. And that's what I've heard from so many different high achievers and whatever area we're talking about is that you hate to fail or you hate to lose so much right. more than you like to win. Yeah. You know? and, and, it's, and you know, the fear of failure is what drives a lot of people. And, uh, and I think, and, but, learning how to deal with failure makes you a better, it feels much better when you succeed, you know, and, and, but learning how to deal with the failure is probably the toughest thing to understand. And, um, not, not actually accepting it, but dealing with it to try to, it like drives you a little bit more, pushes you a little bit more to be better the next time. So if, I mean, if you learn how to fail, then I think you're going to be a better achiever. So speaking of learning how to deal with failure, can you take me back to a specific time in baseball? Because you're going to lose games, you're going to blow saves, like things like that are going to happen. Do you have one time that really sticks out in your mind as far as a failure that you had and how you responded to that? Um, Well, I mean, there's, I try not to dwell on those, but I mean, I know in 2008 was not, uh, one of my brightest years or, or moments, I guess I would say in my career. Um, but that's probably the one that, that would stick out the most. Um, I was uh, the closer in 2007, went to the playoffs with the Phillies. And the first time they went to the playoffs in um, like 15 years or something like that. 
And uh, so through that year, I, they, the, the next year in 2008, they made me a starter again. And I'd started my whole career until they put me in the bullpen um, in 07. I did whatever I could to help the team at the time. And I really enjoyed closing. Like, I loved it. I had a chance to uh, being a high-energy guy, you know, and can't hardly sit still and, you know, sit there for nine innings really wasn't my forte. I didn't like it. But uh, having a chance to participate almost on a daily basis was huge to me, and I loved it. Uh, but the next year, the team needed me to go back and start. Well, I didn't want to start. I was being a little selfish, I guess you would say, but because uh, I really loved closing. And uh, so – with that being said, I, my mentality going into the, to the year in 2008 was still in the closer's mind frame. I never turned the switch over to being a starter where you had to go deep in games. And my pitch counts were getting up there, and I was just getting – I was trying to strike everybody out and not trying to be a starter. Um, and I was getting destroyed out there, basically. I was getting beat up pretty bad. I mean, I had almost a 6 ERA um, before – and I was just losing it. You know, I was just, I was just upset with myself and mad and, and uh, ticked off and didn't know how to fix it. And I had 15 people telling me what to do and what not to do. And I, it was almost like I needed to shut my brain off and just go back to or remember and follow it, what, how I got there and stuff like that. So uh, the Phillies made a decision to send me down to the minor leagues. And uh, I did not have to go. I had five years in, in, in the league. So after five years in the, in the show, then um, – you don't have to accept, you know, your, your, uh, when they send you down. So, uh, so basically I just, I went down as a, out of a necessity, I guess, uh, because it, I mean, they, I mean, what kind of team player would I be if I didn't go down? I definitely was not helping the team, uh, with, with my arm at the point in time. So I just kind of went down, took a mental break and still got, still pitched and stuff like that. And then, uh, and I just, I, I was just – I was beaten up and didn't understand, and I had to re reteach myself and relearn how to start again. And I know that sounds crazy. They're like, you've been doing this your whole life. But it's it's also a mindset of what you want to accomplish and everything. And I just could not wrap my mind around what was going on and how to fix it. So they sent me to the minors, and, and uh, basically I went down and uh, just all the stress went away uh, of not – you know, because it didn't count, I guess you would say, mm -hmm. um, in the minors, it, it, it definitely counted in, in, in the big leagues and stuff like that. Like it mattered, you know, but, uh, you know, so I just kind of took the stress off of myself and, and just said, you know what, I'm going to just bitch and, and be relaxed and, and do what I do, you know? And, and, uh, <clears throat> I came back, uh, after the all-star break, um, they sent me down for like 20 days, um, almost a month and I got my stuff together. They called me back pitched my first game after the all-star break and it was downhill from there. I mean, I, I had like, I had like a one something ERA the second half of the season and we won a world series. So it was kind of a roller coaster year for me, but that, that, and it makes it so much sweeter that I did fail um, and I could not fix it. And then when I did fix it and then on top of that icing on the cake was winning the world series. And, and uh, so the failure part of that made that year so much better and so much more memorable to me. Like, yes, winning the world series is like one of the greatest achievements ever, but I look back at how I got there and how we won that world series was more satisfying to me than probably any of the other guys on the team. And I mean, was that just an issue of taking away some of that stress and some of that pressure going back down to the minors and getting your confidence back 
And, right. and then when you came back up, is that what happened or is there anything else specific that you can think you, of? You know, you know what? I, I really don't understand exactly what changed, honestly. If, but uh, I know that my, my mindset changed about what I needed to do and where I, what, you know, how to start again. And it was basically very simple. And I, I had a pitching coach down there that I've had for since I was an A ball. So since I was 18, 19 years old. And uh, he's, he's always been one of my guys that I look up to, you know, and talk to about pitching and everything like that. And he always used to tell me it's so easy. It's hard. Mm-hmm. And, and I would never understood what the heck he was talking about until that year when I went down and worked with him and, or, and pitched and, you know, he was in my ear a lot. And he's like, every time you get strike one, just throw a fastball in. And I was like, okay, I ain't got nothing to lose. I'm in the minor leagues. It doesn't count. So and I, I took that approach into the big leagues when I came back. And that's really the only adjustment I made. But I, then again, as a closer, I was throwing, you know, 95 to 98 miles an hour. And then I come back as a starter and I'm throwing 90, 93. And it, that just does not get by people, you know, mm-hmm. um, as it was as a closer. Plus it's a, you know, you get three run lead as a closer. You can throw a fastball down the middle. The guys are usually taken, you know, because they're trying to get base runners and who knows. But uh, so, you know, once I once I did that, I I did that the whole second half of the season, and I just couldn't believe it. And then now, when he says it's so easy, it's hard. I'm like, because that was just like the dumbest thing that I've ever seen in my life. Like the hitters could not make an adjustment. I did it every game. I pitched everybody almost the same way and they could not make the adjustment off me and it, it worked out and we won a world series. So I'm, I'm curious about this because there's going to be so many different people listening to this, whether they're athletes or, or musicians right. or business leaders or anything else. And we all deal with stress and pressure in our lives. And I can't right. imagine a more pressure packed time, even though you have teammates when you're mm-hmm. out there than feeling like you're out there just on an Island pitching, mm-hmm. whether you're starting or closing and everybody's looking at you. Yep. So is there anything specific you did from a mental standpoint or otherwise that allowed you to, when the pitches did count up in the big leagues and especially in the world series, you know, right. the things that you did that allowed you to thrive and, and perform under pressure? Well, I can tell you that the adrenaline and big games and certain things, like I loved that. I love the atmosphere. I love that feeling that I had. Once I got through the first inning as a starter, I, I was, that's, that's the most nerve wracking part. Cause in the bullpen, I've had times in the bullpen where I'm just like, Oh boy, it's going to be a long day today. You know? Cause I just looked terrible. I felt terrible. And then all of a sudden I get on the mound and first pitch I throw, I'm going, Oh, it's on. Like, you, like you can't take that bullpen how you did out there to the mound into the field. So it's to separate those two, you got to take the bullpen and just say, Hey, I'm just down here getting loose. You know, I'm, and this is, this, I'm just getting ready for the game. It, nothing counts down here. So to try to, to try to separate those two, usually when that adrenaline kicks in, when you step on that game mount, it's just, you forget about everything. You know, um, you just try to, you, you just try to keep your composure and re- relax a little bit. And the first inning was always the toughest innings for me because I didn't know how that day was going to go. And mm-hmm. that, that first pitch, I'm like, dang, do I got it today or not? You know, once If I get through that first inning, I'm like, all right, it's on. I feel good today. Or, you know, not every start that you go out there, you have your best stuff. And that's how you learn how to pitch. You have to learn how to, um, you know, not every day you have your, you know, 95-mile-an-hour fastball or, or your location's not there, your breaking ball's not biting good that day. So 
you know, sometimes you just have to use other pitches and, and uh, you know, relax yourself and try to pitch out of it. And there's, there's a lot of there's a, there's the fear of letting my teammates down and being on a national stage of people seeing you fail is kind of, uh, I mean, and then you got to wait four days before you can redeem yourself as a starter. It's, it's, it's like drives you nuts. You know, yeah. so you, there's a lot of mental wear and tear that you, you're like, oh, well, and, uh, you know, a lot of, um, I guess you would say uh, superstition, I guess you would say that, that uh, okay, so I had a good start today. I had a good start today. Um, what did I do for those four days in between the last, between the start? So I'm going to repeat that and hopefully I have the same results. So uh, you know, the same, I do the same program. And then if I have a bad start with that program, I switch, switch it up, whether it be my running or whatever like that. It's just the constant wear and tear of, if I keep doing it this way, then maybe I'll continue to pitch well. Um, but if you have a bad one, all right, let's just throw all that away. Let's change your shoes or your socks or whatever it is and, uh, try to have a better start the next time. And I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's tough sometimes, but, uh, when you're going good, you don't think about any of that stuff. Sure. So let's transition over to what you're doing right now because I'm curious, what are some of the the parallels and the things that you've noticed that you used to use in baseball that you now use in music that you think have been most impactful? And you can go any direction you want with right. this, but, but some of the crossovers and some of the parallels between the two. Well, like I started the music stuff for something to do and, uh, like I'm, I always have to have something to do and, um, or a goal or something like that. And I, so I started, I started the music because I was injured and, uh, I didn't know how far I wanted to take it. I wrote a couple songs with a buddy of mine and they sound terrible because we used garage band. Not that that's a bad program. It's just that we didn't have the proper gear to make it sound, you know, professionally done. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, and I, I was really proud of those three songs that we did, like really proud of them. And I listen to them now and I'm like, Oh my God, I can't believe I let anybody listen to these things. And it wasn't like the singing or the, it was just kind of muddy. It wasn't like professionally professional sound, obviously. Um, but you know, when I did those, then I, I, I got in, um, I, I kind of said, well, I, I send them to like a real producer and a buddy of mine is a producer. And, uh, I said, let's get him to master them. And, uh, I kind of feel bad for even letting him listen to those songs because now I listen to them and they're terrible. But so I wrote a song with him and I was like, sweet, that feels really good. You know, I wrote a song. That's awesome, man. I got a good, you know, rush out of that. And that was cool. And then he goes, uh, all right, get in there and sing it. And I told him, that ain't happening, buddy. I'm like I'm not doing it. I do not want to get in there and sing. And uh, I was like, I don't even sing in the shower. It's not happening. And, uh, he pushed me to do it like any good coach would, you know, um, he pushed me to, you know, step outside my comfort zone. And basically he tricked me. He told me to come over and have some beers with him. And then, then he threw me in the booth, like after two weeks of writing the song, (laughs) two weeks after (laughs) two weeks after writing this song, I was still telling him, no, like we wrote the song. He's like, get in there saying, nope. And he'd call me and then he finally, said, hey, why don't you come over? Let's have some beers or whatever like that. I said, okay, sure. And then probably six, seven beers in, he's like, come on, let's go to the studio. I didn't even think nothing of it. And then maybe get in there and sing it. And and I was like, God, oh, man, like, that was fun, but nerve-wracking. You know, like kind of having somebody else 
out there listening to you sing when you know you don't want to sing around nobody or anybody, you know? And uh, so it was kind of like being on that mound by yourself and watch all these people watching you and everybody goes, well, you pitched in front of those people. Why are you nervous about this? I'm like, well, I played baseball my whole life. I've been doing this since I was five years old. This is something that I've never done before or even practiced before. So it's one of those, one of those things where you just kind of have to go, you know what, screw it. And uh, honestly, like the beers, when, you know, people have some beers, they just kind of go, whatever, I don't care anymore. You know, it's kind of like that liquid courage, I guess you would say. And, and then I, and then I ended up doing, and I guess the fear of people not liking what I was doing and then, and, but then realizing that it really doesn't matter what they think. I should just make myself happy. If I like it, then, then I'm okay with that type stuff. Um, so you know, with, with the, uh, the music stuff and doing these songs, I, I did, uh, I did an EP, I did five songs and I put it out and I'm like, all right, let's just see what people think. And I know people are going to bash me and say it sucks and all that other stuff because it might not be their cup of tea or they just don't like me because I of baseball, you know? So, um, which is fine. You know, people have their favorite players and they're, they don't, they have their hated players and stuff like that. So, um, I put it out there and uh, I guess, uh, Philadelphia newspapers or something like they caught wind of it and uh, people were really liking a few of the songs on there. And I'm like, Oh, well, you know what? Let's just finish it. Let's just do an album. Let's just do finish it. Let's do another five, six songs. And uh, so I did that and then uh, put that out and that was, that was cool. But the best part, I guess about the whole music thing was, is I was after my first album, um, we started on my second album and my producers like, dude, we should go play some of these songs live. And here I am going, absolutely not. I don't want to do it. Um, I'm, you know, just nervous. You know, like, I'm like, what if I suck? Yeah. You know, the same thing with, like, the pitching. What if I go out there and suck? You know, even though I was more comfortable doing that, I was like, how am I going to remember these words? You know, he's like, you wrote them. I'm like, that don't mean I remember what I wrote. You know, like, I get in there and sing it and read off a, read off a notepad, and I don't have a notepad live on stage. I'm like, I'm going, what if I forget the words, man? So that's nerve wracking. I told him I wasn't going to play live. And, uh, and then I, then I opened my mouth and I said, well, I'll play live if we play an arena and come on, that's not going to happen. You know, obviously, I mean, nobody's going to call me to play in, in a dang arena. So I was trying to set myself up to where I didn't have to play live. Well, about a month later, the Jacksonville Sharks arena football team calls me and asks me to play a halftime show. And I'm going, Oh, damn. I got, <laughs> just kept stuck my foot right in my mouth. And at that point, like I'm a man of my word. If I tell you I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. And, and I was like, well, I got to do it. Um, I practiced for months to try to just remember two songs. Yeah. And it, it was crazy how nerve wracking that was, but also, you know, it's stressful, but it was always like pitching that first inning, you know, stressful. You didn't know how you were going to do or how you were going to be. And uh, never playing live with a band before. Um, trying to sing songs that I don't really like I know them but I, I don't like trying to play along with the band and stuff like that I was like whoa this is weird like we're rehearsal and uh, you know we figured it out obviously and, and but that one time those two songs on that stage in front of about 10,000 people and they were not there to watch me by the way they were there to watch the football just to let you know but uh, <laughs> they were like I don't know who this guy is but uh, but um so I did, I did that show and, and then the adrenaline rush was just like 
I, I, I wouldn't compare it to, you know, pitching in a World Series because that's like one of the top things that you could do. But it was kind of like that feeling, you know, that, that uh, I was out there pitching again. And so once I did that show, I was like, well, let's do another one now. You know, let's keep getting these things and let's do it because that's fun, you know, interact with with the fans and, and seeing people like it or not. And, and uh, it's just that adrenaline rush. We just played a show yesterday and, and it was, it was awesome. Like it's always fun. And it's fun because it's like that team atmosphere with my band. It's like having being back in the locker room with the guys and like we crack jokes on each other and we have fun, you know, we, we uh, talk about this random stuff. You know, it's like, this is my team now. And yeah. so this is my, this is my other team. And, and I try to, do, I try to be the best teammate I can be as well as they do, even though we all have our little quirks and stuff like that, but always try to keep my teammates happy. You know, I, I have no idea if you know this number, so you can ballpark it if you want to, but how many live shows have you done at this point? Oh, see, uh, well, I mean, it, it's, we're very picky, I guess you would say about what we play. Um, we're not going to play like local bars or stuff like that. You know, we, we try to play bigger venues and stuff. And I've, I've opened for uncle cracker, Luke Combs, um, uh, the lax Colt Ford, uh, just to throw some names out there. But, uh, I've, I've, I've gotten those shows because I know those guys through baseball. Yeah. Know, or I've, or I've met them, uh, through buddies of mine. And, uh, so I would probably have to say we've probably done about 15, 16 live shows. Maybe I would say, and, uh, they're, they're just kind of hard to, pick and choose which one you want. Like, cause everybody go, they have these local bar bands that just go around and play, you know? And my, my band consists of guys and it's, you know, kudos on their part um, because they won't allow me to do it honestly. And, and I think it was a good structure with they, the plan they had. They, they wanted us to look more relevant by playing bigger b- venues and shows with certain bigger names. And, uh, and the reason why they were doing this is because, Two of my bass player and one of my guitar players played in Puddle of Mud, and my other guitar player played in Shine Down, and then the other guitar player played in Cold and JJ Graham Mofro, and and my drummer's dad was in Rosin and Collins. So it's like this group is like a bunch of all stars, and uh, and it's like some of the best talent musically and playing ability that I've ever seen. You know, and just the fact that how tight they are, and, and they're all friends. And they all know each other and they played with each other growing up yeah. in, band, in various bands and stuff like that. So when they step in here, it's kind of like, okay, just another gig for us. And, and, but they, they, have, they have structured it to where we're picky with the shows that we, that we play and, uh, and who we play them with. And I think that's, that has helped our brand grow a little bit more or, or make it look like that we're a bigger band than we possibly are. I don't know. But, uh, I mean, it was a great idea when they told me. Yeah. So I was yeah. like, fine, fine with me. But like just taking any show, any time that like the show we played yesterday, uh, the band was skeptical of playing it, um, you know, because it was at a tailgate party, yeah. you know, but but it was for, you know, some friends of ours and stuff like that and and uh, promoted it well, put it, you know, put it out there. So, you know, it worked out for us. So. And I'm hoping that everybody listening and watching this has gotten exactly what you're saying, because for a person that has been out there pitching in front of millions and millions of people, 
who was initially afraid to get in the studio to record right. one song. Absolutely. Because you take your out of your, take you out of your element, put you in a different one. And now where that's growing to, it's, you know, I always say magic happens outside of the comfort zone or you got to get yep. comfortable getting uncomfortable. Yep. Um, so to, to actually see you do that and to know that, you know, sometimes we look at people that have played athletics at, at your level and think, well, they're just full of confidence or bulletproof, right. and, you know, nothing gets to them. I think actually sharing that's a really powerful thing for people to be able to hear. Yeah. And, you know, like I've always been goal oriented, I guess, you know, and, and, uh, you know, once I start something, I like to finish it. And, and, uh, so, you know, at first I was doing it for fun and it's kind of turned into a business now and to push myself. I, I love it when people tell me I can't do something. Cause then I'm like, okay, sit back and watch, you know? And, uh, like, so I, I thrive off of people, I guess you would call them the haters or whatever, you know, the ones that tell me, that you suck or you're no good or, or whatever like that are the people that actually drive me in life to prove them wrong. And, uh, that, that actually has been, you know, a motto of mine since I, I was a kid, you know, anybody that tells me I suck, I'm not good enough. Well, I just love to basically go stick it up their rear end as much yeah. as I could, you know, and prove them wrong. And then, so, you know, cause when I first started the music stuff too, everybody's like, Oh yeah, right. You know, or your baseball player can't be a musician too. He can't, you like some people in this world think that you can't be successful at two things in life. And, and you know, that's false. You can be successful at anything you want to be successful at if you put your mind to it. Yeah. So I'm actually glad that you shared that because I was going to ask you what kind of your strategy was to be able to deal with the critics and the skeptics mm -hmm. and the people, I mean, the haters for lack of a better term, yeah. because I'm convinced that that's a big reason why a lot of people don't put themselves out there is because they just, yeah. I'm scared of what people want to think of them and stuff like yeah. that. And, and you know what? I honestly don't care what people think, you know, it's, it, I mean, obviously friends and family, you want to keep, you know, you care about what they think, but just like people outside out there because people are jealous and I'm not saying that people are necessarily jealous of me, but just in, in life in general, people are jealous and that's where the hate comes from. Yeah. They, they want to be you or they want to be successful like this other person. Like I've how many times I've heard, I'm like I hate that player like I don't like that he's I hate him you know like you hate him why because he's good or you yeah. played or, or he took your job when you were in high school or something like that like you know people want to talk bad about people uh, um, all the time because I think because they're jealous you know there's there's no no reason for somebody to if you don't know a person how can you hate that person okay yeah. listen I don't like the way he plays the game of baseball that's fine oh. That is perfectly fine. I don't like the way that guy sings. I don't like the way that guy plays the guitar. That's fine. Everybody has a preference, but it's not, hey, I hate that guy because, you know, I'm jealous of what he's done. You know, yeah. that's, that's why I think people react to certain things. And, and I think, I think that's, uh, that's never going to change, but it's okay with me. So that's the way I put my, wrap my mind around it. It's like, oh, that guy's just jealous that he can't do what I do or, or he's too scared to try what I'm doing. Yeah, I 100% agree. If people would like to learn more about you, what you're doing, where you're playing, uh, where do you want people to go to be able to find that info out? Uh, you can go to my social media accounts or brettmyersmusic.com. Uh, my social media account on Instagram is brettmyersmusic39. Twitter is backwoodrebel39. And I have a Facebook page, just Brett Myers Music. So you can keep up with all my stuff. I post a bunch of pics about just daily life stuff or shows or whatever it's it's i think it's entertaining at least it 
I entertain myself when I do it at times. <laughs> well, there you go. That's where it starts. And for anybody listening, watching, I'll put links to uh, Brett's website as well as social media channels in the show notes for this episode. Any other, I guess, words of wisdom or parting shots that you'd like to live with, leave with the I, audience? I, I guess one would be uh, never take no for an answer when somebody tells you you can't do something. Um, you know, and I mean that in, in life and trying, when you're trying to be successful, how many successful people do you know that, that have, uh, actually heard the word no a lot, but they just kept going and proved those people wrong, I guess you would say. And, and, uh, when people are like, tell, tell, you no, like if you have passion about it and you really want to succeed in doing something that you really love doing, then keep going. Like you don't have to stop because one person tells you no. Um, there's going to be a lot more people in your life and a lot more people around you that's always going to tell you no. And, and uh, you can ask, you know, successful people in this world. How many times they've been told no, that they can't do something when they have an idea. And those successful people never took no for an answer. Yeah. Awesome. I love that parting shot. So on behalf of the entire outperforming audience, we want to thank you for sharing your time and stories and, and wisdom with us. Thanks a lot, Brett. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right. And to all of you out there, wishing you the best of health, happiness, high performance. Have a great day. Hello, outperformers. Three more quick things before we sign off here today. First and foremost, thank you so much for listening to this episode. I understand how many different podcasts are out there, and I do not take a single second of your time for granted because time is truly our most valuable asset. It is our most precious commodity, and I appreciate you taking that time and you spending it with us here today. Second, if you found value in this podcast, maybe you've noticed, but podcasting has gotten quite popular as of late. And if you would like to help support the Outperforming Movement and the Outperform Podcast, one of the best ways that we can get it found is for you to give it a favorable review and rating on whatever your favorite podcasting platform happens to be. So head on over to iTunes, head on over to Google Play, and give it a favorable review. And while you do that, also share it with someone else that you know that is just like you, is driven by growth and wanting to be the best personally and professionally in every single thing that they do. Number three, if you want even more tools and tips and strategies to be able to be your best personally and professionally, head on over to scottwelly.com. That's S-C-O-T-T-W-E-L-L-E. There are loads of different resources for you on everything from goal setting and grit to resiliency and focus to confidence and motivation and routines and habits and everything that you can possibly imagine to help you be your absolute best every single day, personally and professionally. Once again, if you'd like to access those free resources, head on over to scottwelly.com, S-C-O-T-T-W-E-L-L-E. So as I sign off, thank you again for spending your time with me here today. Keep outperforming and as always, wish you the best of health, happiness, and high performance. Have a great day.